Over the past four weeks, the Biden administration and the U.S. media have sought to give credence to a conspiracy theory first advanced by Donald Trump and Mike Pompeo that the COVID-19 virus first started in a leak from a lab in Wuhan, China. We need a new system. We need a new society. We need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago, but is not only realizable, but an imperative necessity. Welcome to The Real Story on The Socialist Program. I'm your host, Brian Becker. If you enjoy the show, please show your support for this independent programming by going to patreon.com forward slash The Socialist Program and subscribing. We can do this work, this show with you, but not without you. We are joined today by KJ No. KJ is a peace activist. He's a scholar. He's a journalist on the geopolitics of Asia. He's a frequent contributor to Counterpunch and Dissident Voice. KJ No, welcome. Thank you. Pleasure to be with you. KJ, to get started, President Biden has told the intelligence agencies that they have 90 days to intensify their efforts and determine whether or not COVID-19 came from a lab in Wuhan, China, and report back to him in August. We're going to discuss today where the conspiracy theories against China have originated. There's different versions of them. But just before we begin and sort of go through this longer discussion, maybe it's important to start with how you think this will end. I mean, the intelligence agencies could come back and say, nope, for sure, it didn't come from a Wuhan lab leak. China didn't do it. All of the allegations against China are not verifiable and, in fact, wrong. That's not likely. What's more likely is that they'll either blame China or say, we can't prove that China didn't do it and China wasn't open and transparent. And thus, the animus and hostility towards China is likely to grow, which maybe is the point of all of these conspiracy theories to begin with, in addition to you know, avoiding responsibility by the Biden administration, or before that, the Trump administration, for the absolute utter failure of American governance and American capitalism to protect the people of this country from COVID-19. Absolutely. You're absolutely correct. I mean, there's a fundamental failure of capitalism to protect its people. And so then first you need to distract and you need to divert the blame. But also there's a very specific agenda to blame China and to create a casus belli. This is largely because the Xinjiang allegations are petering out because there's no proof for that. And so now they have to come up with another WMD type atrocity to blame on China in order to to legitimate and to manufacture consent for war with China. And I think you're exactly correct that the intelligence agencies can come up with three possibilities. They can exonerate China or they can implicate China, or they can fall back and fault China for lack of transparency. I think the first possibility, exonerating China of a lab leak, is not 
likely because if they do exonerate China, then the Biden administration will be crucified and everybody will point out China's legitimate collaboration with the NIH and Fauci and the USAID. And that will be spun into a conspiracy about the US and China conspiring together. And so therefore, the easy political choices are to implicate China, which then strengthens the case for a casus belli. And as polls have shown, 83% of the US population want action against China if China is found responsible. The fallback position will be to fault China, quote unquote, for a lack of transparency, which then will be weaponized further as a kind of a cover-up and further proof of guilt. But the fundamental fact is that intelligence agencies work in a very simple fashion. The intelligence agencies have already found against a lab leak and an engineering hypothesis last year. They refuted it in toto. They've been reassigned this commission and the message there is that they're expected to B-team and stovepipe and return the conclusion that the policy makers want. And of course, if this was a real investigation, then we would not be involving the kind of oblique and hidden work of the intelligence agencies, but we would be actually appointing a blue team scientific panel, which actually already is the case with the WHO team. KJ, as I said in the introduction, it was Donald Trump and Mike Pompeo and people aligned with them who were advancing the theory, which was considered at that time a debunked conspiracy theory, that the COVID-19 pandemic first started in a leak from a lab, a Chinese lab in Wuhan, and that this leak, whether it was by mistake or as part of an experiment that went wrong, that that was responsible for the terrible tragedy of COVID-19. And of course, during 2020 and before the election, and certainly before Biden came into office, the Democrats and the media who support the Democrats, and that would be most of the mainstream media, considered that Trump and Pompeo were looking for a scapegoat. After all, China had suffered less than 5,000 deaths, and the United States, well, as of now, has 600,000 deaths, not to mention tens of millions of people who lost their jobs, who were financially ruined, small business people who lost everything. It was basically understood that this was the Trump administration trying to point the finger at somebody else to divert attention from their own failures. But now Biden has breathed new life into the conspiracy theory that it was the Chinese lab that's responsible for this terrible COVID-19 pandemic and all of the death and suffering. First of all, let's talk about how this conspiracy theory went from being, quote, debunked to having new life breathed into it and the politics of this, because you can't really think about this simply as an investigation of a lab, which we want to talk with you about, or a scientific look into the origins of a pandemic, which of course is extremely important to understand the origin. But all of this is loaded with politics because of course it comes in the context of a US policy that has targeted China for major power conflict. 
Yes, thank you, Brian. These are extraordinarily important points. To go back to a little bit of the history, remember when COVID broke out, it was considered the Chinese Chernobyl, and there was a lot of gleeful schadenfreude at the quote-unquote misfortune. This was attributed to China's decadent and deceitful and undemocratic system. And when China had to take lockdown measures, then it was shown, you know, as further proof of how incompetent and also despotic China was. There was a New York Times specialist on epidemics who said that a lockdown cannot and will not work. And of course, it went to Iran. And that was, again, further proof of, you know, this was a disease that affected dictatorships or authoritarian non-Western regimes. So that was the general framing. But of course, the virus came to the United States. And the US's immediate response was to lock the borders and to double down that somehow this was related to China, that this could be blamed on Chinese. They're either dirty or deceitful or despotic, or clearly they're dangerous to the world. And this meme was weaponized through the White House, specifically at the NSC by Matt Pottinger, who is still carrying water and touting this. And of course, by Steve Bannon, who was Trump's you know, strategic privy counsel. And he brought in a kind of a crackpot scientist called Dr. Yan, who claimed that it had been engineered in a laboratory. And so this kind of weaponizing of this meme has fluctuated between, oh, you know, it's a deliberate Chinese bioweapon. And then when that's shown to be completely fraudulent, the fallback position is the Chinese leaked it either by accident or on purpose. Either way, they either had the virus or they had the virus and they did some kind of, you know, slight modification and they released it. All of these are ideas that are really kind of science fiction it's like saying that an earthquake that happened, instead of assuming the usual thing, which is that earthquakes happen naturally and they're natural disasters, is a kind of hinting that there was some kind of external force that made this happen. And so this is this kind of extraordinary deviation from scientific thinking, and it feeds a very, very political purpose, which is to demonize blame and delegitimate China. KJ, when you read the news, and we've seen the evolution of this conspiracy theory, which has been embraced by the right and now is embraced by some parts of what we might loosely call the left, even though I'm starting to wonder whether the term left even has any sensible meaning whatsoever anymore. But it's clearly you know, moved into a direction where it's become more and more considered possibly credible or credible or likely or certain. But the language has moved dramatically since Biden became president. And now we know President Biden gave the intelligence agencies, which are clearly hostile to China, 90 days to come up with a true finding about what the source was of COVID. Now, one of the things that's interesting when you read the Washington Post, May 17th editorial, or the Post again on May 25th, or the New York Times over and over again, we see that the same source is being used. A science writer named Nicholas Wade, one of the New York Times op-ed piece called it a landmark essay that Nicholas Wade wrote 
in the bulletin of the atomic scientist. So it's, it's this one person, this former New York Times science journalist who has become sort of like the go-to source for credible reporting. There are a few other major individuals like Robert Mueller for the Wall Street Journal. I looked into Robert Mueller's background and he was a climate change denier for a long time. And he's now cited as this great scientist and theorist by the Wall Street Journal saying, absolutely, it had to be a Wuhan leak or possibly an experiment that went wrong inside of Wuhan. But let's talk a little bit about Nicholas Wade, since he is being referred to so frequently in the mainstream media. Yes, this is a really important article that Nicholas Wade wrote. And, you know, just to get into a little bit of the background, you know, not to go add hominem, but Nicholas Wade is not a scientist. He does not have any real scientific credentials. I think he may have an undergraduate degree in general science, a kind of liberal arts understanding of science that he learned, you know, in the 1970s. So he certainly doesn't bring any real credentials to it. But what he is, is a extraordinarily skilled propagandist and writer. And he essentially put forth a kind of a false binary. He said that it's either zoonosis animal transfer or it's a lab leak. And he defined the zoonosis in a very simplistic way. And then he defined the lab leak in the widest possible way possible. And then he constructed a false argument saying that there was no proof of zoonosis because they had not found the intermediary animal, and therefore we had to consider the lab leak. Now, this is a completely fraudulent argument because it sometimes takes years, decades. Sometimes the intermediary animal is never found. We don't know the intermediary animal for many diseases, including smallpox. SARS itself took over a decade to find. So that's already a fraudulent statement from the get-go. But then he says there's specific features of the virus itself, which seem to indicate or suggest some sort of engineering or tampering, that there's a kind of unusual aspect to it. All of these arguments have been shown to be absolutely false, that it has a spike protein with a cleavage site that is unusual for beta coronaviruses. Well, we only know four beta coronaviruses. So if you find one of them, which has a furin cleavage site, that's not unusual. But if you look at the larger clade and groupings of coronaviruses, you see that it's a pretty frequent occurrence. There's also an argument that there's a double CGG codon along the genome, which could not exist, that it's just such an anomaly that it has to be engineered. And that also, which was considered to be a smoking gun by a Nobel Prize winning scientist, has actually shown to be completely fraudulent. It's a fairly common sequence. It's about as common as a convertible is. If you're from Alaska, perhaps you've never seen a convertible, but that just tells you something about you and not that you know anything about cars. So these kind of quote unquote scientifically anomalous features have all been explained. And as for the kind of circumstantial evidence, essentially the notion that there's some kind of proximity which implicates the lab or that the lab workers, you know, three of them got sick in the middle of winter. I mean, once again, these are absurdities piling up on 
absurdities. People do get sick in winter. They do get flus in winter. And it's inconceivable that you would have had an outbreak of three workers, for example, at the Wuhan lab, as the Wall Street Journal alleges, without having a massive outbreak, but all the workers tested sero-negative. So there's a kind of upside-down world in which silence no longer operates, and it's a very kind of skilled narrative massaging of selective facts, which Nick Wade has made a kind of a career of, and he's clearly applying this very skillfully. It's skillful enough that people who don't know, who don't understand the science, are confused and somewhat convinced. And this is the doorway, this is the kind of doorway of doubt that they're using and accelerating in order to implicate China deeper and deeper. The fact that they've ordered an intelligence investigation rather than a blue ribbon scientific panel tells you all that you need to know. The facts are being fixed around the conclusions that they want. It's the same kind of stovepiping and Team B assessment that we saw during the Iraq war, the run-up to the Iraq war. And the intelligence agencies, which have already refuted the NDI, already refuted the lab leak and the engineering hypotheses, have now been told to go back and investigate anew. That's clearly a political message. And I think it's pretty clear what the outcome of that investigation will be. Nicholas Wade is not a scientist, as you told us, KJ. He's a writer. And he's, though, the source of so many of these mainstream media stories that show that the idea that it came from the Wuhan lab is either certain or nearly certain and certainly credible. Nicholas Wade, I want to just point out, was also the author in 2014 of a book called A Troublesome Inheritance, Genes, Race, and Human History, in which he argued that human evolution has been, quote, recent, copious, and regional, close quote, and that genes may have influenced a variety of behaviors that underpin differing forms of human society in different parts of the world. His book was denounced widely by scientists, including many of those whose work the book was based on. David Duke, by the way, the former Grand Wizard of the KKK, loved the book, apparently. But KJ, we have over and over again people who become the go-to source for what becomes conspiracy theories, like the conspiracy theory that Saddam Hussein absolutely had weapons of mass destruction. He was absolutely a threat to his neighbors. When anyone who was following that situation closely, which I was at the time for 15 years before 2003, knew that that was an absolute lie. And yet you have reporters like Michael Gordon, who promoted the lie, Nicholas Wade now is the go-to guy, the guy who wrote this racist book about genes and the development of the human race and different behaviors. We have Robert Mueller, who's the go-to guy for the Wall Street Journal. You know, it's like Adrian Zenz with Xinjiang Uyghur genocide. The same guy becomes the go-to source. So instead of having evidence, you just have this repetition of authors or scientists or reporters or people who are pretending to be something that they're not, but it's echoed over and over and over again in the mainstream media, 
Thus, it gives them credibility. And then their thesis, which doesn't have to be based on evidence or facts, because in fact, there is no smoking gun. It doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. Exactly. You've nailed it. Essentially, Nick Wade is functioning like curveball in the run-up to the Iraq war. And we know that curveball was a fantastic storyteller. He certainly didn't have any of the qualifications that he claimed that he had. Nick Wade, Michael Gordon, Dr. Yan, these are the people. It's a conglomeration of people who are confabulators who are completely misrepresenting the evidence, completely misrepresenting the science, and it's taking us down a very irrational anti-science pathway, which is deeply, deeply destructive. You know, public health is a race between good science and bad science. It's a race between good information and bad information. And by polluting the atmosphere with these irrational lies, they're making it much more difficult for us to respond effectively to this pandemic as well as the next one. So they're doing a real disservice to humanity. Yeah. Again, Michael Gordon, along with Judith Miller, then working for the New York Times, they promoted all of these theories and purportedly provided the evidence, you know, that Saddam Hussein was seeking additional equipment for nuclear weapons, that they were hiding nuclear weapons, that they were not being forthcoming with weapons inspectors. None of that was true. I mean, again, just for the audience, I want to just take a moment and talk about this because the outcome there was pretty serious. I mean, a million Iraqis died, according to the Lancet Medical Journal, Tens of thousands of American soldiers either died or had life-changing injuries. Iraq was broken apart as a country. So when people like latch on to conspiracy theories that come from the establishment or are echoed by the mainstream media or the Michael Gordons or the Nicholas Wades or the Robert Mullers, take a moment and remember that you were taken down this primrose path before and it had disastrous consequences. I was in Iraq when the weapons inspectors were actually pulled out. I was there in mid-December 1998. I was part of a delegation bringing medicine to defy UN sanctions on the country. And at first, Madeleine Albright said they were going to have us arrested. And then when we made it clear that we didn't mind going to trial so that the Americans could learn that we would be on trial for bringing medicine to babies who are being deprived medicine by American policy. They said, oh, we wish them well. We hope they have a good humanitarian visit to Iraq. Well, I was in Iraq and the Iraqis came to us and said, you have to leave. You have to leave right now because the U.S. government's going to start bombing the country. This was mid-December 1998. And we said, how do you know? And they said, weapons inspectors just came to a closed Ba'athist party office in another part of Baghdad, after working hours, they came at 510, soon as we had locked the doors, and they demanded to be let in because they wanted to do an on-the-spot weapons inspection. And of course, it's a political office, like why would you be hiding biological weapons in a political office? But not only that, but nobody was there except the janitor who wouldn't let them in. And then the Clinton administration immediately announced that they're withdrawing weapons inspectors because we refuse to cooperate and we know this means they're going to start bombing the country. And in fact, the next day they started bombing Iraq. We got out just as the bombing was starting. 
and they bombed Iraq for the next four days. That was called Operation Desert Fox. And then Iraq was bombed every day, KJ, every day from then on, all the way up until March 19, 2003, when the U.S. actually finally invaded. Now, all of that was based on lies and fabrications. But when I got back to the United States, all of the media, the media that we trust, the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, the Washington Post, CNN, they were all giving the government version. And again, it was to prepare the American public to believe a conspiracy story, which we now know to be untrue. But people forget the last conspiracy that they were convinced of too late. And it's important to warn the public right now, we're being led down the same path. Absolutely, Brian. This is the human cost of these lies. It's extraordinary. And I'll just give you a little personal point. You know, I grew up under a military dictatorship, actually three military dictatorships. And I spent a good time of my youth living in a country under martial law. But the level of mendacity was off the charts. And when I came to the United States, I was astonished that I was hearing the same kind of lies, the same kind of mendacity that I had been hearing under a military dictatorship. But going back to what Colin Powell said at the United Nations in the lead up to the Iraq war, he said, my colleagues, every statement I make today is backed up by sources, solid sources. These are not assertions. What we are giving you are facts, and conclusions based on solid intelligence. Well, we knew all of that was fraudulent. It was all a concoction. And we see exactly the same modus operandi happening right now. The same modus operandi, not only in the allegations about the possibility of bioweapons and lab leaks, but also the same MO in that they're demanding that the Chinese open their laboratories. And if they don't, this is prima facie evidence of their guilt. Why should the Chinese open their labs to an invasive inspection when there is nothing to hide and they have already published all their work and it was a US, Chinese, French international collaboration. There's nothing going on, but simply the allegation being made and then any kind of refusal will be weaponized in the same way that it was in Iraq. And I don't have to remind you that a recent poll pointed out that 83% of the US public has said that they expect the United States to take action against China if it's shown that China was responsible for COVID. KJ, let's talk about a couple of the different iterations of the conspiracy theory here. One of the iterations comes from the left or a kind of Again, I have a hard time really using these labels anymore, right and left, especially the left. The right is easier to understand, but big parts of the left are also part of the right. So one theory is that Fauci is working with the Chinese, that he has a financial interest in the development of COVID or vaccines, that there's some sort of nefarious 
kind of conspiracy with Anthony Fauci at the center of this conspiracy. It started again from Trump, but I'm hearing echoes of it now from the so-called left. Anyway, talk about that theory, if you would. Okay, so this is a crackpot theory that somehow Fauci is working with the Chinese to weaponize diseases against the world for whatever God knows purpose. I mean, the simple fact is that the Wuhan Institute of Virology is one of the leading labs in the world, and it was doing international collaborations with other scientists all around the world. And there was an amount of money, probably around 600 and something thousand dollars that was funded through the NIH and the USAID that was supporting the Wuhan Institute's work on virus research. This is essential and important work. But this creates a cognitive dissonance because it doesn't allow the clear attribution of Chinese malign intent because it traces back to the United States. And so then to maintain this conspiracy theory, you have to dig deeper and create, you know, a larger circle of co-conspirators. So now it's Fauci and possibly the NIH and USAID and WHO and all the health agencies, and they're involved in this nefarious plot. And it really is a kind of echo of the kind of blue team conspiracy thinking in the 1990s, which was very, very much anti-China. And it was the allegation that the Chinese had infiltrated U.S. politics and U.S. government, and they were manipulating and controlling the Clinton White House in order to, you know, take down and destroy the United States. Shades of the same conspiracy thinking. It's a very, very real trend. And of course, it's completely without foundation. Scientists and international science organizations collaborate with each other. That's the fundamental fact. So one other theory, well, there's several other iterations of these conspiracy theories, KJ, that I'd like to talk to you about. But one is that the U.S. and China are collaborating at the Wuhan Virology Lab and that the U.S. government is interested in developing biological warfare capabilities. Obviously, the U.S. had a biological warfare offensive capability for a long time and then said it ended it, but created as a defense strategy, other bioweapon experimentations on the pretext that if the U.S. was the target of a biowarfare attack, the U.S. would have the capacity to have mitigation and to prepare for it. But whether the pretext is defensive biological weapons or offensive biological weapons, nonetheless, there are biological weapons that exist in the U.S. military arsenal. And one of the arguments that you hear is that there is an attempt to have a gain of function with different experiments on different bioweapons, and that if the U.S. was collaborating with the Chinese in the Wuhan lab, and the U.S. wanted to have a gain of function, meaning to show an additional lethality or intensification of a particular virus or a particular experiment, why not have it happen in China so that if something goes wrong, it's going to be Chinese people who get sick. This is another iteration of the conspiracy theory that, again, there's no evidence, but because you can't prove a negative, you can't prove positively that it doesn't exist. Maybe it does exist. Anyway, address that if you would. Yes, I think these are very important points. The first thing is that it's very, very hard 
to prove a negative. You know, if I assert that aliens are controlling the world and I say, you know, that's obviously wrong, then you say, well, you know, show me the proof. Well, how am I going to prove that negative? Anything that I show you can always be, you know, in a conspiratorial mindset, can always find something else to sustain this deluded belief. But specifically regarding gain of function, you know, gain of function is a part of study that has to do with seeing what the thresholds are or what the changes need to happen to a pathogen so that it might become more dangerous. And this is, you know, a defensive analysis or defensive process. There's a lot of discussion around gain of function. I think that's a worthwhile discussion to have. And I think that that can be done without any relationship to this issue itself, because there's absolutely no proof that COVID had anything to do with any gain-of-function experiments or work. And certainly, the Wuhan Institute of Virology was not doing gain-of-function. But even more than that, the simple fact is that there are different types of gain-of-function. But if you're talking about serial passage, it's impossible for any known existing virus to have been turned into anything remotely resembling COVID through a serial passage process. So, you know, it's a way of imagining or thinking a kind of pseudoscience that gives rise to science fiction fantasies. And the fact that scientists have not come down and slapped it down a hundred percent is simply because of the cautious nature of scientific statements. You know, if a scientist sees a sheep in a field, he's not going to say all sheep are white. He's going to say there exists at least one sheep that I've observed of which at least one side is white. The scientists make very conservative statements, but what you see these narrative managers are doing is they're twisting that into the kind of lies that fit their purpose in this propaganda offensive. KJ, let's go back to the other argument that, okay, perhaps this was not a pathogen that was engineered at the evil Chinese lab or the evil Chinese lab working in cooperation with the evil Anthony Fauci. But let's just say it was a natural specimen that was natural, but actually leaked from the lab. In other words, just an accident. Can you say more about that? How strong is the evidence for that? Well, first, there's absolutely no evidence because for it to be a natural specimen that leaked from the lab, you would have had to have had that specimen in the lab. And the list of viruses was until recently, until September, it was openly disclosed. And foreign scientists, there were many international collaborations going on. There was no such virus. And certainly if they had discovered such a virus, the Wuhan Institute of Virology, which is once again, I point out, a highly regarded scientific institute would have published all their findings. So first we know that there was no natural specimen to leak. And this is why the Chinese cannot give you proof that it was not leaked because there was nothing to leak. They cannot prove the negative here. But let's assume in the most hypothetical manner that this specimen actually existed at the lab. The fact is that if it is a natural specimen, it means that it already exists out there 
in nature. And therefore, what are the chances of a natural zoonotic transfer happening between millions of people and billions of interactions with animals and people, as opposed to a dozen or half a dozen extraordinarily trained virologists leaking it by accident and somehow you know, not showing any traces in their serology or affecting anybody else inside the organization. It just doesn't make sense. It does not pass the most fundamental test of logic. It's like if I see a coyote in the hills around my house, what are the chances that escaped from a zoo that actually does not have coyotes? Or what are the chances that those coyotes actually live in those hills, which they do. It's that kind of absurdity that we're up against. And let's just talk about the common character of zoonotic diseases, meaning diseases that come from the transmission from animals to human. How common is it? I mean, in other words, it sounds sort of exotic to people who know nothing about zoonotic diseases, maybe didn't know the word zoonotic before COVID-19. But again, it's not unusual at all that there is this kind of pathogen transmission from animals to humans. Not at all. I mean, think of every disease that we commonly think of. Most of these are suspected of having some kind of zoonotic origin. Zika, SARS, smallpox, which killed 300 million people in the 20th century, rabies. I could go on and on. But almost every common human disease has some kind of zoonotic. It's either has or is suspected of having some kind of zoonotic origin. Uh, sometimes we don't find the zoonotic origin and it takes decades, sometimes centuries. Sometimes we never find the zoonotic origin, the actual vector or host animal. But that said, this is what we understand. This is the standard scientific paradigm. And that transfer sometimes happens directly from the animal, the host animal, to the human. And sometimes it passes through an intermediary vector. Sometimes it cycles back and forth. And so this is why you can have a virus which develops in virulence while not resulting in an immediate outbreak. These are different ways of understanding this, but in the quote-unquote popular scientific discussion, all of that complexity has been erased. And the single argument is that if it's zoonotic transfer, show me the animal. You haven't shown me the animal, then it must be a lab leak. This is the fraudulent thinking that is currently passing for scientific analysis. And, you know, we are much more diminished for it. The seasonal flu, also a zoonotic disease, no? Absolutely. They're from birds, swine, you know, variety of animals, but we consider all flus to be of zoonotic origin. And it's related to capitalist encroachment on wild habitats, as well as capitalist practices of farming. And no one ever thinks about or has this kind of hysterical approach to like, what's the origin of the flu? Where does it come from? Prove it to me. Show me the animal. Like, I mean, it shows the political character now of the hunt for the origin of COVID-19. It's purely political, actually, because in a sort of bottom line way, 
while it would be important to know if there was a lab leak, it would be important to know what the animal was if it came from nature. Ultimately, the reality is COVID exists. It's not going away. It's still spreading. It has different variations and variants, some of which are spreading faster and have greater lethality, greater impact, causing more death and serious disease. Once a disease, once a virus exists in the human family, the whole issue you would think would be how to cure people or how to prevent its transmission. And again, this whole big picture of what to do about COVID is being paid less attention to than the issue of now the hunt for the origin, even though the origin may, in fact, never be provable. Exactly. So, you know, smallpox, as I pointed out, was a scourge of most of human history. We think that it transferred from animals to humans about 4,000 years ago in the 20th century. 300 million people died from it. But it was eradicated without us ever actually ever having to find the animal origins of this disease. So this goes to show you that finding the patient zero and finding the actual animal responsible is useful, but it doesn't actually help us that much in dealing with the immediate issues and preventing zoonosis in general. The search for the origin is really a search to assign blame. And that has already been cooked up and baked in, in that they want to blame China so they can create a WMD-type casus belli for action, possibly war against China. The other thing that I'll point out to is that not only is it political, but it is a political witch hunt. And like a witch hunt, it is subject not to scientific reason or the rules of evidence, but it's being driven by magical thinking. Magical thinking, you know, has two elements. One is what we call contagious magic, and the other is called sympathetic magic. In other words, China's proximity, the lab's proximity to an outbreak is proof of its damned guilt and the similarity of this disease to imagined, constructed, or engineered viruses is also proof. So, essentially, we have magical thinking leading to a witch hunt, which is for the political ends of assigning blame and creating a casus belli, as well as legitimating the U.S.'s terrible, terrible response. KJ, I want to, as we start to wrap up here, I want to ask you about the impact of new communication technologies, of course, the internet and social media, first and foremost among them, in terms of spreading evidence-lacking theories, conspiracy theories that really take root and really have a profound impact in public consciousness, and then also have a profound impact on how people act and how people conduct themselves. And so for a long time, people sort of left of center thought, it was the Republicans who were fixated on the conspiracy around COVID, that Trump was trying to blame China, that you know wearing masks was just some sort of big government conspiracy, sort of like the vehicle by which fascism would finally arrive in America was through having health policies publicly stated to protect us, but were really 
taking people's liberties away and their individual rights. And before that, you had the Russia was responsible for Trump being president and Putin and the internet research agency, a troll farm in St. Petersburg. They were the reason that Donald Trump became president. And tens of millions of Democrats who consider themselves sort of left of center or progressive actually believe that. They were all waiting breathlessly for the Mueller report to come out and prove it. And then, of course, the Mueller report didn't prove anything of the sort. But here we have the same sort of, I don't know how to exactly characterize it, but certainly negative impact in terms of the way these technologies, communication technologies are being used to promote false consciousness and false ideas and conspiracies. The same thing applies for vaccines now. You mentioned smallpox, like my grandmother had smallpox. Her generation, people were dying left and right or being injured for life. And then there was the scourge of polio. And when I was a young kid, you know, every kid in America was lined up and you couldn't go to school unless you got your vaccinations for polio and then other things. And as a consequence, polio was taken care of, got rid of polio, got rid of measles. But now, like huge parts of the population are convinced that the vaccination themselves or vaccines themselves are another part of this diabolical conspiracy. And its impact is going to be very, very great in terms of public health outcomes. Yes, this is one of the tragedies of this irrational, non-scientific thinking, is that it affects public health. You know, the great leaps in public health have been caused by good infrastructure, clean water, you know, good living conditions, and then the development of vaccines. And by buying into this irrationality, which I would say is not so much left or right, so much as it is a characteristic of capitalism itself. Capitalism at its heart is a form of deep irrationality that's based on superstitious and magical thinking. I mean, the term I think is commodity fetishism. But what this does is it creates a very misinformed, illiterate public that is very, very much subject to this kind of massage narrative that is manipulated for political ends. And specifically regarding COVID and specifically regarding the lab leak, the techniques are very well documented. It's what the PR industry does in general. It's what they did with the risks of tobacco or global warming, is that you get a few pseudoscientists or compromised scientists or science writers, you open up doubt, and then you create an entire plausible scenario, Then, which simply because it's designed to be more easily propagated, does actually have its own legs. And then you combine that with you know, a fire hose of falsehoods, you just continually echo chamber that in and out. And then you end up with a population that is completely misinformed and completely misunderstands the situation. And therefore, we run into these kinds of issues around not only vaccine resistance, but irrationality in general, and the terrible effects that has on the body politic. So you're absolutely right. There's a very deliberate way in which this is echo chambered and multiplied. And of course, the social media companies and the military industrial media complex has a very, very, you know, foundational role in this. And our job as individuals is to understand that, you know, we're in a period or a time of total deceit. 
KJ, there is, of course, within the African-American community, a well-understood and well-justified skepticism about the medical establishment and the government. And part of it, of course, is what happened at Tuskegee, where, as certainly people in the Black community know, and, and many other people in other communities also know, Black men who had syphilis were deliberately not treated even though they thought they were being treated so that the government could understand the impact or the outcome of untreated syphilis. So these men were guinea pigs whose lives were sacrificed as a medical experiment. And so just as Jewish people in Germany or Poland recognized how the Nazi doctors and scientists used oppressed people, oppressed communities, in that case, Jewish people, for the worst kinds of medical experimentation and medical torture, you can see why a healthy, justifiable skepticism would exist and would have a very long and enduring impact on people's thinking. But I'm talking about this as a generalized new development in U.S. society, certainly, and perhaps in other societies, too, where there is a general perception that because people are skeptical and cynical about the government, and because they're not rooted in any other sort of anchoring world outlook, the world and the government and public institutions just look scary. And so anyone who starts a conspiracy theory about this, that, or the other thing, it starts to take hold. Again, when it comes to basic elements of public health, meaning you know wearing a mask or getting vaccinated when there's a pandemic, these things then become called into question with huge parts of the population. Absolutely. So you're absolutely right that there are sectors of the population that were medically tested on. I mean, certainly African-American communities have every right to be distrustful of the medical authorities based on the medical experiments. If I recall correctly, of the 399 men in the Tuskegee experiment, I think the majority of them died of complications related to syphilis. I mean, that's a horrific violation of every human and medical ethical standard that we can think of. But the larger picture is that there is a general distrust of government and a general scientific illiteracy. And, you know, the distrust of government is understandable for large sectors of the population. But when you combine that with a deliberately cultivated scientific illiteracy, then you're going to have the fertile ground for conspiracies to spread. Now, the fact is the technology of inoculation is at least a thousand years old. The Chinese were doing smallpox inoculations in the 10th century. So it's a time-tested and proven approach to treating disease. But yet, in this modern world, with the kind of irrationality that plagues our society and the cultivated illiteracy and ignorance, you know, we're all very, very easily subjected to the worst kind of conspiracy mongering. Okay, KJ, no, I want to come back to where we started. I'm looking at an article, it's from the Australian media. And this takes us back to the original group of investigators from the World Health Organization and their determination that there was no evidence whatsoever that COVID-19 came from the Wuhan lab. They were very 
confident in their announcements. I'm going to read a couple sentences again, because this has gotten lost, what the original team of investigators actually said, because there's been so many qualifiers in the months afterwards. Well, now they have second thoughts. Now they have third thoughts. Now they realize that they didn't see everything. Now they're admitting that the Chinese didn't let them in to see every file. And so thus, there may be some evidence that they missed. But here's, I want to read to you from this Australian newspaper. China appeared open and cooperative with the international investigation into COVID-19's origins, an Australian investigator says. Professor Dominic Dwyer, Director of Public Health Pathology and NSW, was among 17 international experts who traveled to Wuhan in January as part of the World Health Organization study team investigating the source of the pandemic. The team's report concluded the most likely cause of the pandemic was a virus jumping from one animal species to another, possibly bat to pangolin, and then to humans. The view is also supported by the Australasian Virology Society Australia's peak body of virus experts. A lab leak was considered, quote, extremely unlikely, close quote, the World Health Organization team concluded. Australian and American intelligence agencies are less certain. U.S. intelligence agencies are split two to one in favor of a natural origin being more likely. The key flaw in the lab leak hypothesis, said Professor Dwyer, was that there was no evidence the Wuhan Institute of Virology had the virus that caused COVID-19 before the pandemic. The laboratory leak for that to be the origin meant that they must have had the virus to begin with, and there is no evidence of that. The lab leak sits there, but you need some sort of evidence to take it further. KJ, no other evidence has been provided, not one single piece of evidence. The only argument of the conspiracy theory is the argument that you can't prove the negative but they have not offered one piece of evidence, have they? Absolutely. So extraordinary assertions require extraordinary evidence, but they have not offered even the slightest evidence. All they have is insinuation, what I refer to as magical thinking, essentially proximity and some kind of vague resemblance to some imagined theory around bioengineering. So there is no proof. There's absolutely no proof whatsoever. Now, in good science, you never rule out anything, but that does not mean that hypotheses are equally worth considering. And the fact is that similar to the WMD situation where the US had x-rayed every square inch of Iraq and had x-rayed and inspected every lab, interviewed every lab worker, looked at every document, and still they asserted that there were WMD. This is the similar kind of exhaustive refusal to accede to known science, to the known limits of epistemology. And therefore they're buckling down and insisting on this strange, absurd, evidence-free assertion, which as I point out, is simply the continued attempt to generate information warfare for a case of spell 
That was K.J. No. K.J. No is a peace activist. He's a scholar. He's a journalist on the geopolitics of Asia. He's a frequent contributor to Counterpunch and Dissident Voice. You're listening to The Socialist Program. We'll be back Tuesday. You've been listening to The Socialist Program with Brian Becker, where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We can only continue our work bringing you high-quality news, analysis, and history with the support of our listeners. Connect with us and become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program and receive an invitation to participate in an exclusive monthly seminar with Brian Becker.